Hello, and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Savaris. This is the Monday episode in the middle of the second round of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. Yes, this year the tournament moved. Usually it starts on a Thursday, and the the second round is over by the end of Sunday night. They had to push it back one day so everybody could quarantine for the appropriate amount of time, field the right number of negative COVID tests and all that. So while people are supposed to be working tomorrow, I highly, highly doubt any work is going to be getting done. We've already seen some really impressive things. Uh, Loyola, Chicago beating Illinois, Oral Roberts upsetting Florida, just the second 15 seed ever to make it to the Sweet 16. It's been a very exciting weekend. The games have been very good. I mean, the Rutgers-Houston game on Sunday afternoon was pretty good. The Sunday night, there were quite a few. The Texas game came down to the wire against Abilene Christian. A lot of really exciting games. As I'm recording, Villanova looks to be well in control against North Texas. And then Oregon State, Oklahoma State, still pretty early in the game. Plenty of time left in that one. This is a great time of year to be a sports fan. There's lots happening. We're only a week away from baseball coming back. About a week, week and a half away from baseball coming back. We'll get the last few. We get the Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four National Title Game of the men's tournament. Get the Masters in a couple of weeks. The Formula One season starts back up this upcoming Sunday. NASCAR is going to dirt race for the first time in like 30 or 40 years this upcoming weekend. We're getting the stretch run in hockey and basketball. Basketball, big things are going on. LeBron injured. Lamelo Ball fractured his wrist. He's going to miss the remainder of the season. The Lakers are. They're not in a free fall, but they they have legitimate concerns now without Anthony Davis or LeBron James. There's lots going on. Today's episode was originally going to be basketball, but I saw quite a bit of this conversation after the Ranger game on Saturday night where the Rangers ended up winning against the Capitals, so I wanted to explore this a little bit. So this is both a podcast, which you're listening to now, and then it is also going to be a little bit more detailed and a little bit more visual on the blog I'm going to write for Gotham SN this week. Why I'm not concerned about Capococco and Alexis Lafreniere. So, I understand the concerns people are having. Players who are taken first and second overall, they usually have some semblance of a counting stat impact. Uh, Tim Stutzel for the Ottawa Senators, his his underlying numbers are not particularly good, but he was picked third overall, and the Senators seem content to let him grow into his game. His underlying numbers are pretty bad. Whenever he's on the ice, the Senators are usually getting out scoring chance or and out expected goals, but he's putting up counting stats. He's getting a little bit of shooting luck from his line mates, and he's got better counting stats right now than Lafreniere does. Uh... Jack Hughes for the New Jersey Devils last year, the first overall pick who went before Capococco, is having a very nice second year. He's obviously improved drastically. He's a lot more confident with the puck now. He's getting better control of his body, learning how to use his ability to stop and start, to find open space on the ice with possession of the puck and without it. He's getting better at playing away from the puck, which is really important for any young player. This is going to be... Equal parts informative and equal parts my opinion. Of course, people can take from this whatever they want. I'm leaning heavily here on 
the statistical record and just what I see when I'm watching the games. I haven't gone back and done a full shift-by-shift deep dive taking notes on either of these guys yet. I'm going too soon. I need to need to pony it up and start paying for NHL TV again so I get the game log so I can do the appropriate visual analysis to conjoin with the statistical analysis. Because the stats paint a pretty clear picture about both players, and it's why I'm pretty confident that I'm right in my opinion. So I will see you guys on the other side of this drop. And we're going to talk about Kako and Lafreniere and why everything, even though the counting stats aren't there, is just fine. I'll see you guys in one sec. And with that, we're going to get on into it. Okay, so I've broken this up into a few different parts of bunch of different talking points to organize this in because if i just did the stream of consciousness it might flow out a little bit all over the place and cause a little bit of confusion if you were trying to piece together my argument so uh, if you ever hear a paper crinkling that's me just shuffling my notes into the light a little bit better so i can read them the first thing i want to touch on here is the relevance of sample size because any data you are reading comes from a defined sample. Now, we have an inordinate number of resources now as sports fans to understand players, their impacts with and without their teammates, what they cause to happen when they're on the ice, the field, whatever. So in this big picture discussion, you really need a certain number of games threshold to draw a judgment about a player because you need to get the statistical mean and a particularly streaky run one way or another especially in a sport like hockey that has high variance you often hear me on the show when i talk about hockey just talk about how random and unpredictable of a sport it is because there are so many variables going on because so many things happen on any given play you're talking about situations where a defenseman will end up with the puck in the high slot, skating down from the point. He'll rip a shot. It'll get deflected. It'll deflect off of a player's stick, off of the goalie, and then the rebound goes in. And all of those variables are what make hockey so very so have such a wide variance of outcomes where the best team doesn't always win. And even a team that is outplaying another team can just run into a really hot goalie or just get some bad puck luck and still lose so when we talk about player samples you need a certain number of games it's why you might see in some statistical models for this abbreviated season the 56 game season you're seeing um, publishers and content creators use percentiles to rank players as opposed to war or uh, wins above replacement or spar standing points above replacement because those are usually graded on a scale of 82 games, and in a 56-game season, that would not produce a comparable sample for war or spore, or spar. rather. So we have to be aware of that when we're talking about this. And I went through and kind of broke it down into segments of the season so far, because the Rangers have been incredibly streaky this year, where they have had some extremely, extremely piss-poor outings where they've just gotten absolutely thumped at even strength. But at the same time, they've had 
the weird ones, like the Saturday matinee where they beat the Bruins 4-1, to them beating the Flyers 9 nothing on Wednesday night hockey last week. Extremely, extremely streaky situations where crazy puck luck in one game can drastically influence a guy's stats if you don't have enough games to put that number into the overall sample. So that's the first thing. We're talking about Kako, who's played 23 games so far this year. We're talking about Lafreniere, who's played 30 games so far this year. Again, way, way too short to start making judgments about who they are and where they're going as players. The frustration I'm seeing from a lot of Ranger fans is centered around the lack of production at even strength. They want goals, they want assists. Because neither of them is getting run on the first power play unit and the second power play unit's really only getting 30 seconds for every two minutes, it's really hard for any of them to get any bit of luck. And it's also worth pointing out that Kako and Lafreniere have spent 70-ish minutes at even strength playing with each other. So the concurrent bad shooting luck is impacting both of them. And it's especially pronounced because they're playing on the same line together. And they've had different runs of who's in the middle of them. The kid line that David Quinn called it last week didn't really get a lot of run over the weekend against the Capitals this past weekend. The replacing the replacement group of coaches with Knobloch from the Wolfpack, they lost them on Saturday. They only played nine-ish minutes of even strength. There was a lot of special teams in that game, so it's a little bit understandable. Let's talk about it in this mindset. I really reference this a lot in everything I write and every time I talk on the podcast, but Jack Hahn, former development coach in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, spent some years with the Mar- the Toronto Marlies, their AHL affiliate, and is now a content creator slash consultant for players, trainer, that kind of individual. His newsletter is free. If you're not subscribed to his Substack already, you're missing out. If you can afford it, I highly recommend his books. The Hockey Tactics 2020 was very informative and very knowledgeable. And I just started reading the Hockey Tactics retrospective about teams from the 70s and 80s. Understanding the schematics of hockey has made me a little bit more informed and helped me understand the advanced statistics I'm seeing a little bit more. A lot of almost all advanced statistics are centered around the value of chance creation, the value of scoring opportunities, that is what underlying numbers are. Whether you want to talk about Corsi, which is just scoring chances, so shots, goals, block shots, misses, all of those. Fenwick, which was all of those except for block shots. You want to talk about expected goals, where each individual scoring chance is assigned a value based on how likely it is to result in a goal. And then you start talking about things like goals above replacement, wins above replacement, all of those kind of metrics where those are other things added up into one compound single number, where if you wanted to talk about wins above replacement in hockey, you'd have to look at offensive impacts at even strengths, defensive impacts, the ability to draw penalties, the, the ability to play on the penalty kill or on the power play. All of those things go into that number, and the goals above replacement metric usually ends up ca- counting for stats, goals that were unlikely to result in goals, and above replacement meaning an average player. So 
A perfectly average player would be a zero war player. With someone like Artemi Panarin, he's going to have a higher war because of his impacts at even strength, his impacts on the power play, his ability to draw penalties, and the fact he doesn't take a lot of penalties. All of that makes him more valuable. There's a reason that Panarin was the leader in Witten's above replacement for a majority of the 2019-2020 season because he was one of the best even strength players of the last 15 years. Panarin's 2019-2020 numbers at even strength, he had a goal differential of about positive 40, and the rest of the Rangers at even strength were somewhere in the ballpark of minus 35 in goal differential. So to say Panarin buoyed the Rangers last year was an understatement. And when we talk about young players, it's really important to talk about the environment they're in. And it's one of the nuances that your traditional counting staff, your goals, assists, shots, all of those, the traditional stats you see referenced on a broadcast by legacy companies, the regional sports networks, those kind of numbers, they don't have the added weight of quality of competition, zone starts, the likelihood of things resulting in goals. But there's no real qualifiers to understanding how those numbers exist. It's just they took shot, resulted in a goal. They have this many shots on the year, this many resulted in goals. That's their shooting percentage. And that's really the extent of statistical analysis you'll see on a broadcast. I want to talk a little bit deeper here. I want to talk about talent evaluation when you don't have counting stats. So I mentioned Jack Hahn's book about hockey tactics before, and he wrote a few weeks ago, the night Lafreniere scored his first NHL goal, the overtime, the game winner against the Buffalo Sabres. His column that week in his substack was about building up a young player's confidence and understanding how they get better understanding the mental aspect of developing a player, which is something we don't really get a ton of insight into because every player is different and coaching staff like to keep that kind of thing hush-hush. Jack said to evaluate young players in a few categories. There are a few different things you can look at. So he's got five things. He's got number one, if a player is not getting consistent puck touches, they are chasing the puck, and they are not having as much of an impact on the game. So when we talk about Kako, when we talk about Lafreniere, you got to see, do these guys have the puck on their stick? Did the defenseman get them the puck in transition, and were the Rangers able to break out in transition? As I've often talked about, and I've written about more than once, the Rangers are a rush-oriented offense. They use their team speed, they like to create odd-man rushes, and hope that those result in goals. Are Lafreniere and Kako getting the puck on their stick at all? Are they? Do they have control of the puck? That's number one. If they don't have the puck, it's really hard for them to make an impact on the game. And this all, this entire evaluation for young developing players is based around the fact that these are guys who dominate either junior hockey or European, whatever European league they're playing in as. 17, 18-year-olds their draft year, and it makes it only seem like it's about points for them, and it's hard for them to adapt to the NHL because their responsibilities are different. In junior hockey, a guy like Lafreniere or in the Finnish league, someone like Kako is going to have the puck on their stick pretty much every single time they're on the ice for a shift for any extended period of time, and the offense is going to run through them, and it's going to be their responsibility to do a bulk of the scoring. 
And they're not going to have to worry about playing away from the puck at their level because their team's best case is to have the best player with the puck. That's not the case in the NHL. Someone like Kako, someone like Lafreniere, they're, they have to know how to play away from the puck. They have to get better in the corners. They have to play along the boards. They got to win the 50-50 pucks. They got to have active sticks in the passing lane. All of those little things that go into making a good hockey player that aren't sexy, that don't show up in the box score, that unless you're looking for, you just lose the nuances of because it doesn't seem like it matters all that much. So that's the baseline here. Points do not have to equal success for these guys if we're really judging them based on how they're developing. So the first thing Jack mentions is, do the guys have the puck or are they chasing the puck? Relatively speaking, I can say that both Kako and Lafreniere have had the puck a decent amount of the time they are on the ice. Whether they themselves physically control it or the team controls it, that's something else you have to judge. But how many touches of the puck are they getting? Do they have the confidence to be getting to open parts of the ice where teammates are going to look for them to pass? And once they have the puck on their stick, what are they going to do? Are they going to panic and just fire the puck on net in the offensive zone because they don't want to turn the puck over? Or are they going to look to make a pass to someone else who's open? And that is something that I know I've said more than once. I know Jay Fresh Hockey. I know Jack Hahn himself has said. You want to see Kako improve his vision. You want to see him look to make more passes and look to incorporate his teammates more in the offensive zone. Because a lot of the time for Kako, and to some degree for Lafreniere as well, it is a one-and-done opportunity on offense. Meaning that once they gain the offensive zone, usually because it's on the rush, they're only getting one shot on goal before the other team has control of the puck. That's why it's called a one-and-done. One chance, and then your chance of scoring is gone because the other team has the puck. And those scoring opportunities are basically turnovers because you're giving away the puck. If they result in a goal, it's fine, but it's really hard to recover a puck if you've missed a shot. And that's one of the other tiers in this is where do we go from there? After one-and-done, do we have... Low-quality chances, where we're getting a, one or two passes, and then someone else is taking a bad shot, and then either Kako or Lafreniere has to chase down the loose puck and try and get it and start the cycle over again? Or is it resulting in a high-quality sequence, where we're stringing together a sequence of passes across multiple players, we're working a cycle along the boards, someone is getting the puck to a quality area of the ice before shooting. They're not just shooting from where they are, they're either getting to an open part of the ice to shoot, or they're getting to an open part of the ice to draw the defense to them to make a pass to give someone else a better shot. And then, of course, the best version of this is a shift that results in a goal. Now, not every goal is created equal. Some goals are fluky, if you want to call them that, or lucky, where they get ricocheted and deflected and bounces. All of that stuff is valid, but you got to judge these guys based on that scale. I understand counting stats would be nice, but we're trying to build these conf guys' confidence up over a long period of time. Are they getting better with each passing game? Are their numbers improving? When I say their numbers, I mean, are their shot metrics improving? Are they on the ice for more scoring chances for the Rangers? Or is the other team having more scoring chances on the net? Are they on the ice for more dangerous scoring chances? Are they getting the puck to better areas of the ice? Because... That's one of the nuances you can lose in this if you're only looking at Corsi or Fenwick where you're just talking about the total number of scoring chances. Not all scoring chances are created equal. A shot from the point 
is a lot less valuable than a shot from inside the crease or between the circles. And that's where expected goals and high danger chances come into play. And it's something the Rangers, at, under David Quinn, as a rush-based offense, have done a, a reasonable job of, is creating high-danger scoring chances because they are in rush situations where they are getting two-on-one or three-on-twos, and they're able to get the puck closer to the net before shooting, and those shots are more likely to result in goals. Now, the finishing has been an issue this year. The, as a team, the Rangers team shooting percentage is somewhere in the eights percents, and for Kako and Lafreniere specifically, their on-ice shooting percentage, which means... Only the shooting percentage for them and their line mates when they are on the ice is low for both of them. That's different from shooting percentage, which is obviously either their individual shooting percentage, like that specific player. You take the total number of shots they had that resulted in goals and then divide that by the overall number of shots. That's your shooting percentage. On ice shooting percentage is taking all of the shots they are on the ice for, with including their line mate shots, then you would divide the number of goals they've had for them by that overall number, and that would be your on-ice shooting percentage, which can be more reflective of the luck and bounces. Typically speaking, a shooting percentage is going to be 9.5-ish percent is about the league average for shooting, and both Kako and Lafreniere are below that. And before I start talking a little bit more numbers-based, it's important to also talk about the role that both Kako and Lafreniere are playing, because that goes into their production. Neither has gotten much work on the power play. Like I said, Kako only has something like 30 minutes. Lafreniere is about 35 minutes of power play time, because the second power play unit does not get a substantial amount of work. Neither has a role on the penalty kill. Both of them get mostly offensive zone starts, and then it comes down to who you're playing with. Uh, Lafreniere's most common line mates this year have been Zbigniewicz, Buchnevich, and for a lot of this year, Zabinajed was struggling, and part of that dragged down onto Lafreniere, which is reasonable. It is reasonable to expect that if the play driver of the line, Zabinajed was supposed to be the play driver of that line, is having a bad year, it would impact his line mates. So that's part of this discussion. Either Kako or Lafreniere is what I would call a play driver yet. When I say a play driver, I mean they're able to sustain offense on their own, to create offensive scoring opportunities, they're still line-mate dependent at this point, and as they get better, that will likely dissipate. They will be less reliant on their teammates to help them play better, and we see it in spurts. There are the little flashes of both players, and you see why they were both so highly touted. Lafreniere's best trait is his hockey IQ and his vision of the ice. He's a very good passer of the puck, and his shot was really good in the Quebec Major Junior League. It's got to get better. He's got to get a little bit quicker of a release. He's got to get to better areas. Same thing for Kako. I saw more than one person mention it, that Kako's got a pretty slow release, that you can see him thinking, okay, I have the puck on my stick, all right, it's time to shoot, instead of just doing it. And I understand the... It, it's easy for me to say that, but you, you can tell when guys can do those kind of things. When I say things, I mean shoot the puck, move uh, with intuition, with instinct. They don't have to think about doing it. They just do it. Instead, you still see Kako having to process the game. You see it from Lafreniere in transition where both of these guys, neither of them is a particularly fast skater, which is another thing we have to talk about is 
the Rangers being such a rush-based offense does neither of these guys any favors because they're not particularly quick. They're not slow, but they're not good skaters. And that is part of why I think they're having a little bit more of a hard time getting counting stats. And there's also just the fact the Rangers as a team, they're getting good scoring chances, but they're not finishing them. They have pretty reasonable expected goals numbers and pretty good high danger chance numbers. They're just not scoring them, unfortunately. And that goes, some of it is just running into good goalies. They've had a few goalies go Super Saiyan on them and just steal games. They've had a few games where they've settled for quality, quantity, not quantity, and they've taken a ton of shots, which have resulted in a lot of expected goal, but not actually converting any of them because they're not really that good. I'd like to see a little bit of experimentation. I'd like to see a little bit less of that odd man rush offense and try and look towards, I would say, a sustained forechecking presence where you're going to have strong engagement on the puck where you're getting a clean zone entry and then you're looking to have your team set up around the player who carried the puck in so you can begin working the puck around and then trying to get it to a dangerous part of the ice all of this is subjective again this is my opinion and this is what i think so let's get into the numbers a little bit here so uh, comparing kako from last year to this year is night and day when i had jay fresh hockey on the show back in october of 2020 he compared kako's game last year to someone playing a tear up in beer league hockey So think about if you were a freshman on the basketball team and you showed up to varsity practice. You still have traits to be decent at that. But anytime anyone gets around you, you're going to panic with the ball in your hand. You're going to either fire up a shot or you're going to pass the ball like a hot potato because you don't want to turn it over. And that was Kako last year. He had a really hard time being comfortable. A lot of his scoring opportunities weren't good they were just shots he fired from anywhere on the ice and he's done a better job with that this year the most encouraging thing about Kako this year is that he's actually been pretty good defensively actively good defensively I will go as far as to say where he's forcing a lot of turnovers he's controlling the puck a lot more in terms of takeaways this was something I was encouraging 3.58 takeaways per 60 minutes of ice time. Kako gets about 14 minutes of even strength ice time on a given night. So 60 minutes would be about four games. So 3.58 takeaways per 60 minutes, which is the second best rate in the league. The only player who gets more forces more takeaways than Kako this year is Mark Stone, who is amongst, if not the absolute best defensive winger in the entire league. So that's encouraging. Kako is getting better with using his body. He's bulked up since the start of last season. He's getting more comfortable in his body at this size. He's handling his frame a little bit better. He's able to box out other players and be a little bit stronger on the puck, where as last year, he was having a really hard time using those muscle moves, those power moves, because he was smaller, and guys in the NHL were just bigger than the guys he played against in the Finnish League. Kako's... Expected goals against are down from what they were last year. He is more confident. Obviously, like I've said, they are not getting a lot of puck luck. The shooting, per- the on-ice shooting percentage for Kako is 5.49, which is abysmally low for 
an NHL player to have. Like I said, the average shooting percentage for an individual player is about 9%. So for an entire line to be averaging an on-ice shooting percentage of 5.49, that is just an unbelievably bad stretch of luck there. And it makes for the probability, not the pot, not, it's not guaranteed to happen, but there is a likelihood that this will eventually bounce back. And the thing is, in a shortened 56 game season, it might not bounce back till the fall. It might not be till 2021, 2022 that Kako just starts getting the pucks in the net. One of the other things I noticed that I'm a little bit more encouraged with is Kako has the 84 best rate of shots per 60 minutes in the entire league. He shoots the puck comparable to someone like Steven Stamkos, who's in the same tier of attempts per game, and that is encouraging. You want to have your guys on the ice for shots because when they are shooting the puck, that means the other team is not shooting the puck, and Kako getting his defense together is a really, really encouraging sign because it means he's going to have the puck on his stick more and it's going to give him more opportunities to either directly create offense by shooting himself or getting his teammates more involved. And a sound defensive player is a good foundation to work with. You can help a guy who's having a bad streak of shooting luck by getting him a little bit more work. You could give him some power play run. And Kako's, I'd say, biggest hole right now is his vision. He's still not the best passer of the puck, and he does still occasionally panic when he has the puck in the offensive zone, and he can occasionally just end up firing a puck on net from the half boards without any real chance of going in. And special teams-wise, Kako's has 31 minutes all year of power play. That's not really anything special. The one thing I do want to mention real quick here is that the Kako Heedle pairing does not have a ton of ice time. Only 40, 50 minutes of ice time because Heedle missed, you know, five and a half, six weeks in there from that upper body injury he suffered against the Penguins really early. I think that was the third or fourth game of the season where Evan Rodriguez hit him, and I think it was a collarbone. And he's slowly but surely getting back up to speed. He's a pretty good skater, Heedle. He does shoot the puck, but he is ten. he tends to pass. But Heedle and Kako together... In their limited ice time, 60% of scoring chances at even strength. That's really, really good. 64% of the expected goals. So not only are they creating more scoring chances than the other team, they're getting the puck to good areas of the ice and shooting from there. So their shots are more likely to result in goals. And then high danger chances to back up the expected goals, that it's not fluky, the expected goals. 62% high of the high danger chances. So if you want to picture what high danger chances are, if you are looking at an offensive zone, you draw a diagonal line from the post on each side of the goal, the posts on the goal, outwards into a trapezoid shape, into the first hash in the circles of the offensive zone, and inside that trapezoid are high danger scoring chances. Those are shots more likely to result in goals. That high slot, that area right around the crease, that's the money area. If you get pucks in there, those pucks are going to end up being goals if you keep getting the pucks there. So, Kako and Heedle have done a nice job of that. And just individual impacts, real quick, going off of Micah Blake McCurdy. This is one expected goal model. 
Most of the numbers I've cited here are from natural statrix, so they're going to be slightly different because every statistical model values everything a little bit differently. They have different shot inputs, meaning where on the ice the shot is registered from coming from might be a little bit different, a few feet in one direction or another, so it could change a little bit. But generally speaking, they're all going to be in the same ballpark. In terms of individual impact, Kako has a negative 4% offensive impact when he is on the ice in expected goals from an average player. But without Kako on the ice, the Rangers are a minus 9 expected goal score threat, meaning that Kako is not actively the problem here. That if the team overall is a net negative for expected goals, like it is in that case without Kako, and they're closer to average or replacement level with Kako on the ice, that means he's not playing well, but it means he's also not getting a ton of help. And then his defense has been outstanding this year. It's, I, I can't make enough of the improvement of his defense and how much he's impacting play. Uh, he's got something in the ballpark of a minus 19 for defense. And when he's on the away from the ice, the Rangers are closer to 10. So Kako's impact defensively is very real. He is actively suppressing chances because he is taking the puck away with such great frequency. And that stuff matters. That stuff matters. And when we talk about his impact, we know we want him to score goals because that's what he was supposed to be. He's supposed to be a finisher. It's what he did in the Finnish League in his draft year. He was always the best player on all those teams. He's learning at the NHL level. It's probably going to be at least another year or so before you really get the Kako breakout because the Rangers as a team are still trying to figure themselves out. And it's part of the problem, is that these guys aren't going into defined roles on an already proven team. It's They are playing for roles. They are trying to get expanded roles with each passing game. Now, transitioning to more of a Lafreniere-based part of this episode, his numbers aren't amazing. Um, his expected goals are not as strong as... Kako's are, his defense has not been as good as Kako's are, but again, like I said, it's worth mentioning that, you know, he's played a lot of minutes with Ryan Strom and with Mika Zibanejad at center for him, and neither of those guys have had a particularly good defensive season in terms of expected goals against, so naturally that would pass down onto a winger where if Mika or Strom is on the ice for those chances against... Lafreniere is with them, he's going to be on the ice for those chances against as well. So, the most successful part person that Lafreniere has played with, with some semblance of frequency, is, is probably Strom. Strom and him, 74 minutes of ice time, 56% of uh, scoring chances, 64% uh, of the expected goals with an on-ice shooting percentage of 6.3. So, that tells me that, A, they're, again, they're shooting below what they probably should be, but they're also getting the puck to good areas of the ice, and, you know, eventually these shots are going to start going in. They, just, if you keep getting the puck to dangerous areas, eventually you're going to pot some goals. And when we talk about his individual impact, 
He's a zero for goals above replacement isolated impact if you look at Micah Blake McCurdy's model. But without Lafreniere, the Rangers are a minus 13. So again, like Kako, that's telling you that with this guy on the ice, the Rangers are creating more goals, expected goals for than they were without him, which is a sign he's getting the puck to good areas. Lafreniere profiles as a playmaker, someone who's going to help get the puck to good areas of the ice and set up other teammates, and he's got to win some of the 50-50 pucks, get pucks along the boards, and reset the cycle, and things of that nature. He's never going to be an elite shooter of the puck, that's not his skill set, and he doesn't need to be. If he can just be a good distributor of the puck, he will be just fine. I would like to, at some point... I'd like to see if Zabinijad can continue the stretch he's had for about the last, I'd say, week or so, where he's actually kind of looked like the 2019-2020 Zabinijad. If he can keep that up again, I would not be opposed to another Lafreniere-Zabinijad experiment, even though the results they've had this year have not been great. Um, in 145 minutes at even strength, Zabinijad with Lafreniere have combined for a 42%. Scoring uh, scoring chances for uh, 44% expected goals chances. It's not, those are not good numbers. Those are objectively not good numbers. Lafreniere's best numbers have come when he's played with Strom and with Panarin in terms of expected goals. If Zbigniew gets out of his rut, I would at some point like to see Lafreniere there again because Zbigniew is more inclined to shoot if you give Lafreniere run with him to help set him up, get him the puck in better areas. If Sabinajan is playing well, I think that's a nice match for their skill sets. Kako, I'd like to keep with Heedle. Like like I mentioned before, the, the underlying numbers are there. They're creating more scoring chances overall, and they're creating more dangerous scoring chances than their opposition when they're on the ice together. So I'd like to see those two stick together. If Vitaly Kratsov comes off of the quarantine requirement and the Rangers want to get him in the lineup, I wouldn't be opposed to throwing him out there with Heedle and Kako as the basically the designated shooter, and you go from there. Uh, get him the puck. He A lot of the clips you saw of get people staying up in really weird hours of the night to get KHL clips, he likes to shoot the puck, and he likes to get it to dangerous areas. He profiles as a shoot-first guy, so... You put him on the ice with someone like Kako, who, yeah, is a shoot-first guy, but he's gotten a lot better with his puck retrievals and his defense. And you put that with Heedle, someone who's a playmaking type with an occasional inclination to shoot. And traits-wise, you've got a nice mix. And this is something I've talked a decent bit about now, as I've read more a little bit about the tactics and strategy of it, where you want to balance out your line so you have a mix of playmaking, shooting, and then puck retrieval. you got to put... Kako and Lafreniere in position to succeed, and I can't say the Rangers have done a great job of that yet. I know last year Kako was forced into the lineup. Uh, they'd never really had any inclination of sending him to the AHL, which he probably should have been, to be completely honest. I think some ice time at the AHL level probably would have done some good for Kako's confidence, and that's the thing. While the production is not there right now, you got to get them to keep building their confidence. And circling back around to what I said, quoting from Jack Kahn's newsletter, you got to get them puck touches. you got to get them sustained offensive pressure. 
and you gotta get them comfortable to keep building them up. The main point in Han's edition of the newsletter that week was, during the course of that game where Lafreniere eventually scored his first NHL goal, he was having really good sustained shifts where they were getting the puck to good areas, and he got a little bit more confident. He was holding onto the puck in longer stretches of time. He was looking to get the puck to his teammates more instead of just deer in headlights shooting no matter where he was. The more good habits you have while you're playing, the more confidence you can build up over time, and it improves who you are as a player. Right now, I'm not worried about either player because their expected goals... I. I know that expected goals can be a bit complicated to understand if you're not familiar with them. So, like I mentioned earlier, I'll, I'll say it again. Every shot has a value on a scale of 0 to 1. The more likely a scoring chance is to result in a goal, the higher number it will be, 2, 1. And then once you take the expected goals for when a player is on the ice, so let's say Lafreniere was on the ice for... 18 total scoring chances. That includes the ones the other team had while he was defending. And you, at, let's say the Rangers had 11 of the scoring chances and the opposition had 7. You add up the value of those 11 goals, those 11 shots rather, not goals, and then that value you would divide by the total value of all the shots. You would have to get the expected goal value of the shots he was on the ice for against, that's how you get your expected goals percentage, and that is an indicator you of even strength success. Are the Rangers getting the puck to good areas when Lafreniere is on the ice? Somewhat, yes. When he's played with Ryan Strom, he's had a decent, and Panarin, he's had a good amount of success. I do think if you put anyone in that role with them, they would be fine. I mean, Colin Blackwell has had a really nice season as someone who was pretty much expansion draft fodder playing with those two, and... Lafreniere's defense is a little bit, it, it's not outright like horrendous, but it's not good. It's very meh. Right now, he's more inclined to try and outscore you than to outplay you. Uh, looking at the rates, the, um, the Evolving Wild rates have him at 2.5 expected goals per 64, and then 2.4 expected goals against per 60, and that profiles in the bottom right quadrant if you're familiar with the four quadrants on a scatter plot that would be in the bottom right category which on most hockey analytics visuals is the fun column because they're on the ice for a lot of chances for and against and it's possible to win like that in the regular season that's got to get tightened up over time I think it will the Rangers as a team are playing good team defense this year which has been extremely refreshing so as a quick summation of these points, you shouldn't be worried about the lack of number production from Kako and Lafreniere yet because the underlying numbers are not bad and because the Rangers as a team are having bad goal luck. And I think that's where a lot of this comes down to is I don't think it's a problem with Kako and Lafreniere. I think realistically it's probably a problem with the style of hockey the Rangers are playing it's not really conducive to the players they have. While they're getting good expected goals numbers, they're about where they are in terms of goals for being pretty close to expected goals. Some It's something in the ballpark of 53 to like 52.5. 
they're pretty close to where they're supposed to be, and they're just not scoring enough right now. And I think that'll be fixed with time, especially especially if Zabinijad keeps playing well, and then you have two really good lines, and then you have the added bonus of the Hito Kako pairing on that third line, and then you can throw another complimentary winger with them. And really quickly, you could be talking about the Rangers having three expected goals for positive lines, which is where we want to be. We want the Rangers to have three lines capable of outchancing the other team at even strength, and they got to get the power play going. they got to find a way to start converting at closer to 18 20% as opposed to the 14-ish percent they're converting at right now because they're just not scoring enough to win games consistently, and that's been the biggest issue this year is they haven't been able to score with any real consistency. Aside from Kreider's deflections, and Panarin setting other people up, there haven't been a ton of golden chances for the Rangers to score with any regularity. Uh, expecting guys to hit those point shots, it's not realistic. Point shots are very low value. They're very unlikely to result in goals. The Rangers need to keep funneling pucks into that dangerous area. And when I say that, I don't mean just getting pucks on net. I mean, they need to be skating the puck into those areas and trying to force a defender to close in on them so someone else will be open. Yes, I'm a little bit tired of the rainbow road passes to no one, which are a real problem this year. Teams with strong defensive structure know the Rangers like to try and pass the puck across the net mouth so they have defensemen in that passing lane. And then if that's not there, the Rangers cannot score. They really are not great at sustained link-up play where they cycle together a number of passes along the boards waiting for someone to get open. They don't have the personnel for that, and it's not the system, to be quite frank. They want to get a high volume of chances on net off of odd man rushes and the rush in general. It doesn't have to be an odd man rush. Even a two-on-two, the Rangers like that because they have team speed, so they're content to turn every game into a track meet. And... Against teams with good structure, like the Bruins, like the Islanders, like the Penguins, the Rangers have had a really hard time scoring. Those teams know what the Rangers are trying to do. I hope that this was an informative, a little bit of a calming influence. I know, I know I'm concerned about the lack of production, but... I think a lot of it is just, like I've said in the last two, three minutes of the episode, it's tied to the way they're, the system they play. They have not historically gotten good production out of rookies, uh, rookie forwards, I should say, because Adam Fox had a good rookie season last year. Okay, Andre Miller's been good this season, but historically, recent history, think about how long it took Pavel Buchnevich to break through, how it took Philip Heedle the better part of two years to fully cement himself in the lineup. It took Chris Kreider the better part of three seasons to fully cement himself in the lineup. The style of play the Rangers have is not great for young players who are not shoot-first guys. There's still a bit of deference from the both Lafreniere and Kako where they're more inclined to make an extra pass to try and set someone else up because they don't have the confidence to just rip yet. That will come with time. Don't be worried yet. If we're still having this conversation midway through next season, it's okay to start saying that, yeah, the system isn't good and that it's not conducive to the talent they have because they're creating the chances. Eventually, they got to start going in. If the chances don't keep going in, then we know there's an actual problem and it's not just a case of a small 
sample. Now, with all of that said, I hope you learned something from today's episode. I'd be really, really appreciative if you could subscribe on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be terrific. That helps more people find the podcast because it charts. It's more likely to be clicked on. More people join the show, the better. We're just trying to make sports talk a little bit smarter from the fan perspective. It's doable. You don't have to be like the Todd Furmans of the world, you know, the gambling guy who has the show on ESPN and say asinine things like there was such a bad coaching coaching mismatch in the Arkansas game. And it's possible to have real sports discourse in today's day and age, even though that's not what the conventional sports media is doing. Sorry to get preachy. If you could follow on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Audio Boom, Stitcher Radio, whatever platform you get your podcast from, please follow the show. If you see it on social media, you see a tweet, you see it on Snapchat, you see it on Facebook, you see it on Instagram, please throw it a bump. It would help a lot. Dropping some stuff this week. Working on a written version of this that's a little bit more in-depth. Working on some video stuff, which is very exciting. I know I tease video stuff a lot and haven't been able to produce it. I have a very shitty laptop. It's a fight every time I try and open Adobe Premiere. But we'll have some content this week. There, There's lots going on. It's a good time to be a sports fan. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Enjoy Monday of March Madness. Uh, if you're working from home, make sure you've got four screens set up to be watching multiple games at once. Spoil yourself. Go get some wings for lunch tomorrow. It'll make your Monday better. I'll talk to you guys on Tuesday.